Hey folks, welcome to On to Waveland. It's the Cubs Athletic Podcast. I am Brett Taylor, hosting alongside my sidekick, Sahadev Sharma, who writes The <laughs> Athletic. Uh, we, <laughs> we had some uh, technical difficulties the first time we recorded, and so, uh, you know, apologies if, if my zingers aren't quite uh, up where they were the first time. But, but I assure you, it was hilarious the first time. So, But I dropped that sidekick line this time. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was uh, great. Very happy that to play? be the Robin to your Batman. Yes. This is exciting. <laughs> we got a exciting we're role the, for me. <laughs> yeah, we're the old school ones, too, like with the tights and, you know, bam, pow, kablow. Um, I'm ready to so, run through a wall for you, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to that. The the uh, extra energized Chris Bryant. Uh, that's that's going to be a fun combo that we're going to have. But um, so you uh, were not joined, by the way, I should add. Uh, Patrick Mooney, of course, is usually with us, but he is still out in Arizona uh, covering all things beautiful out there. Whereas Sahadev has returned to the snowy, barren, uh, dire Midwest. And <laughs> happy to be back. Happy this to great. be back. I know. It's, yeah, you know. You got to get all the flavors of the ice cream. You can't just have mint chocolate chip every time. You know, if you have to, if you have to, it's a good, it's a good flavor. But if you have it every time, eventually it's not good. So I think you know it is nice to be back in the cold and uh, you know the the smell of despair around you. <laughs> It'll and just make me appreciate going back to Arizona even more, right? There you go. Uh, so okay. <laughs> Uh, we have a, a bit to get into some news stuff. I mean, it's rare that like there's, well, except when the season's in, but kind of rare that there's like uh, news stuff kind of breaking for us um, while we're recording. So this is fun. But uh want to talk a bit, like we mentioned at the top, about Chris Bryant. Uh, of course, he you know reported to camp normally as expected this weekend. No shocking last minute trade or anything like that. And uh, he actually he held a, a very I thought impressive, candid, thoughtful, um, just one of the more I guess complete and useful press conferences I, that I have heard from a player in recent years. When he arrived, kind of he had a lot of really important tough stuff to get into, and I thought he did a really good job. And I know you were there, Sahadev. Did am I? Is that my? Is my read kind of how you were sensing it, too, that he just sort of was like really doing a good job putting it out there? Yeah, well, I think the reality is we've been talking about him for months now. Uh, not just when I say we, I mean, the baseball world, uh, writers, fans, uh, media in general, uh, all these things have been put out about him and he's had no voice uh, to respond to anything. Uh, he... He, I almost feel like it was better that he was sick for Cubs convention in the sense that the the setting for spring training where he could just let it all out was much better. It would have been much harder for him to get all that out at uh, Cubs convention where it's, you know, happy setting and no no venting allowed type stuff. You know, it's not going to be a, a, a time where he can really sit there and get everything off his chest that... Uh, that he needed to it, it's more about I feel like Cubs convention you bring him up in front of the cameras and it's uh, a lot a lot of it is a bunch of those canned answers uh, just presented for TV right it's not really him going off on two minute uh, 
discussions about uh, extensions or or trade rumors or whatever it is or you know made up rumors about tension between he and the front office all that stuff uh it, it's uh, someone a lot of people have been saying that that didn't seem like chris bryant i disagree i i think that for those of us that are, have been around him a lot he has those moments and he does you know when he gets when when something's out there that he doesn't believe is uh, accurate about him or, or or something regarding the team, he'll he'll stand up for himself. Uh, and and a lot of times, sometimes if you don't see him, the the quotes can sound a little almost angrier or or not a, like they they can go either way, right? Sometimes it can sound angrier than Chris actually is, or you don't realize that he was kind of passionate about something, and and you don't you don't see the passion. Uh, when you're not in front of him uh, interviewing him. So there's, I, I think Chris has been like this for about a, a little over a year now. Uh, I've noticed that there has been a change with the way he carries himself. But I, I don't think that that was new for him. Uh, but it, it was clear that he had a lot to say since people had been talking about him for months and he got zero words in. So I understand why he, he wanted to get his version of, of things out there. And, and it's likely the most accurate version since it's coming from one of the people involved in it all. Yeah. I mean, among the things that uh, Bryant got into the, the kind of older rumors about the extension for well north of 200 million that he rejected, he uh, says that just didn't happen. Um, of course, talking about the service time grievance and why he did it. And I mean, genuinely, I think anybody attached to the game could respect his process on that and why he and the union together, you know, there, there was a lot to clarify about service time and his case for a lot of reasons was the perfect one to carry forward, especially right now heading into another CBA negotiating period. And, um, you know, it was never about punishing the Cubs or, or being an antagonist in that way. It was just about doing right for um, a, a broader group of players that, that extend beyond himself. And I thought he did, again, a really good job articulating that. And, and then, of course, there was the, the trade rumor stuff. And I very much appreciated not only um, the way he discussed it, but also his candor with respect to being like, you know, <laughs> he understands that you can't be um, completely kept in the loop as a player as, as, uh, with respect to conversations. Because you just never know in spring training, some team calls and they decide that they've evaluated their squad and they're like, holy crap, we need Chris Bryant. We're going to blow the Cubs away. No doors are going to be closed, but certainly entering into spring training, forward looking for this team that did not have a lot of roster change. I think everybody wants to just kind of get around to this idea that like this is the group they're going to compete. They could be very good. Let's just accept that and go. And, you know, him essentially saying he wouldn't mind hearing something like that from the front office. Um, I appreciate it. And then, of course, he did then go on to have a meeting earlier this week with Theo Epstein um, from which he came out feeling uh, apparently he didn't say he was guaranteed anything, but his reaction to that meeting answered his questions. He said, and um, essentially he said he feels really good that he's going to be a cub on opening day and a cub even beyond the trade deadline. So, I mean, whether we could debate reasonably about <clears throat> what would happen, you know, if the cubs come out of the gate slumping and then the right offers come at the trade deadline, I think, I think we all know what that conversation looks like, but for the purposes of kicking off the season and, and going into spring training, I just think 
I was very pleased at the way that this week played out with respect to Bryant, Epstein, trade rumors, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, at minimum, you avoided a Nolan Arenado situation. It's not even close to that situation, right? So that's no. a huge win there. You've got a front office that clearly you know, has a good reputation. This is a sensitive situation in the sense that this is a guy that's, you know, done nothing but good uh, for the team. He's uh, played through injuries. He's won a championship. He's won an MVP, Rookie of the Year. He's helped turn the franchise around. Never been a problem off the field. Uh, you know, really the perfect type of uh, person and player to build around. Uh, so you don't want to just go out there and say, yeah, we need to trade Chris Bryant because, you know, uh, the way the salary system works and blah, 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 blah. And like you start getting into all this uh, nitty gritty about stuff and and, you know, and you're turning everyone off. So you they handled it. They've handled it well. I like I, we, we've gone over why there's a chance that they may trade him. Right. It makes it makes sense in in one world. Right. I we all get that, even if we even if you're strongly against it. I, I think it's been explained enough that there is a way to look at this where it makes some sort of sense. Uh, I I just think that the the fact that they've avoided any like hard feelings is is pretty is is pretty indicative of the way things are run with the Cubs. So that it makes the organization look good. Chris Bryant comes out looking good. Nobody comes out looking like a jerk in it, as far as uh, the baseball world goes. And uh, so that you're right. That first week, it was very compared to last year's <laughs> first couple of weeks of spring training, the PR nightmares that were popping up all off season. And then the way they were handled, uh, in spring training, I, I'm pretty sure this is a, a, a 180 from that. They, they, there was a chance that this could have gone south, and it didn't. Uh, the vibe right now, uh, when I left Cubs camp the other day, is uh, very positive. Not to say that it hasn't been positive in the past, but it's so easy. I can see how uh, those feelings of positivity can be infectious because there are times when I'm listening to these guys and I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm not – why, why am I picking this team third <laughs> in the division? Look at these guys. They're ready to go. But you got to kind of pull yourself back and realize the positivity early on in spring training uh, is pretty normal. And and even if you want to convince yourself of, of, of things, you have to kind of let's see how this plays out. But I'm I'm very fascinated by it all and how uh, how energized they claim to be by Ross. It seems genuine. So I, I'm very curious the more uh, the further we get into, you know, spring and get closer to the real season, I, I want to see how this lasts and and if the, they can actually carry this over and and if if a change in leadership can actually be the difference. I have no clue if it can be. I I have a feeling that they need to make they they need uh, everything to go right, uh, but I, it's also a very interesting thing that the idea of. Uh, a change in leadership, a new voice being the type of thing that gets this group that we've always talked about being very talented and and underachieving the past couple of years, uh, finally getting together and actually living up to that potential. I, I think, honestly, I think it's it's possible, but I think the uh, the bigger key would be everybody stays healthy and has uh, great seasons, uh, you know, has seasons up to there or beyond their potential, right? That that's <laughs> That's what's going to make them a good team again. Yeah, and it's going to be one of those things where you can, 
you are going to be able to attribute their performance to whatever storyline you want because obviously there is that change in leadership not only with David Ross in as the manager but considerable change to the coaching staff considerable change to uh, a lot of the under the hood mechanisms on the developmental side that will flow into uh, at the big league level and I think that if the team performs well it's going to be very easy and very attractive to people to be like see they just they just needed to change this and this and when in fact it could be you know that that certain guys put in certain work over the offseason and figured certain things out and stayed healthy and all these things but I do agree that um, we really aren't going to know what we know until we get a little deeper into spring training, get into the regular season, and kind of do see the team as a whole, how it's performing, how it looks. Because I think, you know, it's one of those things that was a little hard to put your finger on. But I don't think we were just being um, like hindsight narrative creators to say that last year as you were watching the team and seeing – some of the weird struggles they couldn't win on the road at all lots of mistakes lots of just kicking games away um it, it felt like i mean it just felt like it tracked with the downslope of an era of the team um and i just wonder if we will when this this season gets going if we'll be able to maybe sense a different pulse there um and you know that I can bring that together. I think that what you're mentioning, that that different sense of energy with the change um, in the leadership uh, together with something with Chris Bryant. Um, So the news that I alluded to at the top of this episode is that uh, David Ross has essentially said Chris Bryant is going to be the Cubs leadoff hitter. And uh, why I bring that up in this context, and then we can talk about it, is that I think it's one of those things that, um, you know, this is a team that has been looking for a leadoff hitter for years now, trying all kinds of things. Really, the only guy who had any success is Anthony Rizzo. And for a lot of reasons, not the prototypical leadoff hitter, but he's just such a good hitter. And what he does well plays so well at the top of the order that it worked. Um, And yet, Chris Bryant never was never, you know, seriously considered for that role, even though he's a guy sees a lot of pitches, works a professional at bat. Love that expression, by the way. Just works a professional (laughs) at bat. Uh, Gets on base at a hellacious clip, runs the bases better than just about anybody on the team. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why on a team that doesn't have an obvious leadoff hitter, he maybe always should have been the guy, and yet he didn't get that look. And I'm not saying this is why he is now getting the look, but having new leadership in place and all of the underlying change and the feeling of change that accompanies that, I do feel like it kind of makes it easier to beget other change because everybody's already in that mode of like, look, we're refreshed. We're kind of resetting things. We're coming in. We're going to, you know, we've had these disappointing years. Uh, The old guard is gone. We're going to kind of reframe how we are going to proceed And maybe that means really significant changes, like taking a guy who is just sort of thought of as middle-of-the-order hitter, power hitter, got to keep him there. That's just what you do. And saying, no, actually, I think there's a lot of reasons that we're going to make this change. And and even Bryant himself is on board with it. So I think that that's the kind of tangible um, 
impact that this otherwise kind of flowery change can actually have. And um, I look forward to seeing some more of that as the spring goes on. But, um, you know, for today, that's the big one. Chris Bryant, leadoff hitter. Yeah, I mean, we know why it makes a ton of sense that they haven't they've tried the other on base guys as far as, you know, I mean, Hapspin uh, is a walk rate guy. Rizzo's a walk rate guy. Schwarber is a walk rate guy. They've tried all of them up there. Uh, only one has really worked. And we know why Rizzo is better in the middle of the lineup. Bryant's probably better in, in the middle of the lineup, right? I, I mean, ideally, you'd like him in the middle of the lineup. Top of the order, though, I mean, he's been hitting second a lot for, uh, you know, for the past few years at the top. He's, that means he gets the most at bats. Uh, you, you mentioned all the reasons he's good up there. I think it makes sense. You don't have the prototypical leadoff guy. There just aren't that many of them left. So you try and find someone that's that's willing to do it, can be comfortable there. We'll see if he can. Uh, I, I think it, it's something worth trying. Uh, with regards to the change, though, I, I can't get past this. Uh, <laughs> what's going on in the Cubs clubhouse currently with with some people talking about the lack of preparation or how, you know, it, it was just the right time for a new voice and all this stuff. And and this idea that that means that they're all putting all their problems on Joe Madden. And I don't think that's – I think people are missing the point. I I think that it's possible for someone to be doing things that work for others and that have worked for him in the past, and it's just the message isn't getting across. And I, 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 I just think that if Javier Baez says he wasn't prepared and then Joe Madden says, I never noticed that, that's part of the problem. Uh, it's not the problem. It's not the reason they lost – but if Joe Madden didn't notice uh, that some of his players weren't prepared for first pitch, and it, it, maybe maybe it's all a bunch of nonsense, and these players are hearing what the changes are that are coming and saying, yeah, that's what was wrong. So it's almost like this, you know, the, uh, after the fact. Oh, sorry about that. My my dog had something <laughs> to say about <laughs> about what I was talking about. Uh, it's a you know maybe they're all deciding that. Uh, after hearing this, that they're like, yeah, that that's what it is. And it's after the fact, uh, kind of rewriting history. I don't know if that's the case. And I uh, I think the idea that Madden pushing back on this so much is a little frustrating to hear in the sense that Theo Epstein has said, we could, I could have done be better at my job. Uh, the players are all saying, I could have done better at my job. And Madden is coming back and saying, I did everything right. Uh, I should. I didn't need to change that. Uh, so that's the only part. If he, uh, just hearing him say, you know what? Maybe I should have. Maybe maybe trying that. I've. It's never. It's never been my style. And this is what works for me. Maybe that that group needed something different. Maybe that. Maybe that's true. Uh, but I. I know what works for me and what has worked in the past. And it's. It's. I still believe it. It. It will work in the future. That that type of even that willingness to admit that perhaps something different could have worked uh but that's just not my style that type of thing would make me feel like this would sit better but the fact that he's saying nope this is the way i do things and it's the right way to do things and all of a sudden it wasn't working that's not on me i find that uh, to be faulty logic and and just an unwillingness to admit that this group uh this isn't 
I also hear this. Why, why isn't it on the players? Shouldn't it be on the players? Yes, of course it should be on the players. It is on the players. But if they're not getting it done, whose responsibility is it that they get it done? You know, it, it's not it, it, like eventually the person in charge needs to say you're not doing what needs to be done uh, to, to do your job right. It, like that's that's just normal for any job. Right. You you hope well, that you're the people that work under you do it properly and if they're not it's your job to guide them and show them the right way uh, of course you want a, a leader in the clubhouse to step up apparently there wasn't one so who's gonna step up who was it uh, I, that's what bothers me when people trying to like uh, do not put all the blame on joe madden but do not absolve him of all blame that's where that's what what i feel yeah, well, and it's not like any of this snuck up on anybody. You guys, you and Patrick, were all over some of the need for cultural change last offseason, which I understand was not – that was not necessarily specifically about Joe Madden, but the point is it teed up the idea that this club had become something that needed something different than what Joe Madden was sort of known for um, which was so perfect for the team in 2015, 2016, maybe even still 2017. Although in hindsight, I think we'll always now look at that as a line that like, Ooh, they needed something very different to stay the course after 2016. Um, and you know, we watched it play out in 2019. And I think that, you know, I also, I, I don't like to, I don't like to put too much of this, this sort of like the lack of preparedness and togetherness and those issues. Uh, I don't like to lay it all at Joe Madden's feet either because um, it is it is up to the players and it is up to the coaching staff and it is up to the front office and it is up to Madden himself to notice these challenges. But I think that we also have to recognize that um, th this is a little bit just how Joe is. Uh, you know, it, it's evocative of some of the bullpen decisions in the World Series where for, for us on the outside, it would have it worked out. Right. It all worked out fine. Cubs won. It would be very easy then to be like, you know, in hindsight, upon reflection, maybe I could have handled a couple of the decisions differently. And, you know, Joe is a is a, for as easygoing as he is. He's a dig in your heels kind of guy about when it comes to his decisions in his way. And so and. It's kind of hard to argue when he gets the results and he's got a new team to lead now and he's going to be leading them in the style to which he's become accustomed. And I think that, you know, I can respect that he's not going to want to put out there um, the idea that like he can't manage the different stages of different types of teams. You know, he's, um, and not that's not just an ego thing. It's also about him being able to be as successful as possible with the angels is that he's got to believe and they've got to believe that he is the guy who knows how you do it and you do it his way. And <clears throat> excuse me, and things are going to work out just fine. And so I think against that backdrop, I think that part of everything that Madden says now, we kind of have to view through the lens of, you know, he's got a new club that he's thinking about and um, that, that I'm sure colors it slightly, but I do. That's think fair. That. You're, I, I, I can see the concept that he needs to project a certain image to his new team and a certain strength. And he doesn't want to he doesn't want to start admitting mistakes. I don't know what this dog is, is barking at we me. Got about. Dogs, I just took we got her coughs. on like a 20 this minute is... walk. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, you're right. He he has the right to uh, to you know kind of even if it's not even if he even if he could even if he's admitted to himself that maybe I could have done something different. Uh, there's a, there's something to be said for uh, not wanting to project that uh, this moment he's walking into a new clubhouse and and trying to be a leader of a of a group that has underachieved as well. Some would say, I yeah. guess, or just hasn't, you know, maximized Mike Trout's career. Yeah. So um, I think that's it's, it's a good topic, though. I know that some people have gotten um, they feel like like Madden's moved on. Like, can we just let this go? And but I think that that for me, at least, misses the point, which is that we talk about this stuff, not because we're trying to like belabor what went wrong or put it at Madden's feet or put it at the player's feet, any of that kind of stuff. It's it's actually a forward-looking conversation because it's about understanding where and how and why things went sideways um, during this process with this same group of players and then how it can potentially be different this year. And so to that end, uh, regardless of, of who you point to when having this conversation, I did appreciate Javi Baez saying that, like, look, here's what happened. Here's what I think was going on. I've recognized it. Um, you know, he's not naming names, but I think that he sees it in more than just himself. And he knows that the change is necessary. And again, even if that change wasn't being imposed on the players by the new coaching staff and by David Ross, sometimes just the fact that the, the entire culture is different will will just lend itself to people changing their habits, changing their routines, changing their preparation. And that is not to say it'll work, not to say that a million other things won't go wrong that will derail this season, not to say that there aren't huge holes on the roster that should have been uh, patched over if the Cubs were actually intending on maxing out competing this year. But it does leave open a very real possibility that some guys will be in a slightly better position to succeed this year than they were last year and the year before. Yeah, and just the idea that I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just uh, David Ross seems to have the preparation, the mental, the behind the scenes, everything that needs to be done before, outside of those three and three and a half hours of game time, he seems to have what needs to be done. He, he can handle the media. He's not overwhelmed by us. He hasn't said anything where he, he's either not, you know, he's not getting too defensive or he's not saying something crazy uh, with awful responses or awkward responses. He's He, he handles that part of his job well. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it, it's clear that the players are early on are hearing and, and understanding his message and it, and it works. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Obviously, you need to win for these things to really take hold. Uh, but I, I'm very curious to see how much his work with R&D during the offseason is going to help him in-game. I think that's where his biggest deficiencies are because we have no clue what kind of uh, strategist he is. So, you know, that's all, that's going to be a learning curve. But I'm very interested because he is – the way he talks to us about things – He's holding back on 
how he's going to use his defensive alignments. He's holding back on telling us, oh, we saw, you know, a bunt strategy where the third baseman's playing back and, and Javi's coming up the third baseline. What's that about? He's like, oh, I, I don't know what you're talking about type thing, right? He's holding all this stuff close to the vest, but I want to see it play out. I'm, I'm curious how, how, you know, out of the box is he going to be? How good of a manager can, can he be? If he's got all that other stuff really figured out, and he's working with R&D and really digging into this and going to put in the time and effort to make it work, maybe maybe Theo Epstein has found the next great manager. I don't know, but I'm very curious nope, to see, nope. you see said how it. it works. You said it. Nope, nope. <laughs> Sahadev Sharma, quote, Theo Epstein does, has done it again. He's found the next great manager, David Ross. <laughs> Book it. That's oh, good. I'm going to title. We're titling this episode that. Book it. <laughs> Book it. Sad of Charmin guarantees. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I agree. I, I, and so far, I'd say, you know, the the indication that he wants to lead off with Chris Bryant and then perhaps have Anthony Rizzo going back to back with him at the top of the order. For me personally, at, uh, hey, he's passed the first test uh, in terms of setting guys up for success and, and working with um, something that I would suspect that the R&D department and the, the nerds would be on board with. So I dig that. Um, and like you, I look forward to seeing some, some game action. I mean, we're going to get a tease first with spring training action, but uh, you know, you start to get a little bit of an idea from that. Nice, nice little set of training wheels. The Cubs you can all game. watch it on Marquee on Saturday, right? That's right. Well, uh, yes. everybody's got uh, it. Uh, you know, maybe by the time this publishes. No, I think, it, yeah, for, for what it's worth for anybody listening, the, the negotiations with Comcast are still ongoing. So I don't think that anybody's expecting that to get done before, um, not too far before opening day. But the flip side of that is I think everybody is pretty confident that it will happen by opening day. So for the rest of you folks, uh, yeah, you can watch the Cubs spring training games. It's good. Look, I get that everybody wants carriage, but for those that have it, it is pretty darn cool that uh, instead of like four or five spring training games total televised, it's going to be basically all of them. So that's that's pretty cool. I'm, as, as someone who is uh, only going to be in Arizona for a brief stretch later in March, I'm pretty stoked that I get to take in the games. So. I look forward to that. Cubs first one is on Saturday and we will be back at you probably next week with another episode of on Waveland, which is what this is. I'm Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma. He writes at The Athletic. Patrick Mooney uh, will be back with us probably next week with like a really nice tan and some really <laughs> ripped delts from his work in the pool. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you then and um, obsessively deconstructing spring training games as though they matter. So thank you very much for listening. Take care.